0: Steve Mathis Production. Hello, Pulp fans. Keep using that M-A-T-T-H-E-S code at btosports.com and be sure to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com for your non-moto purchases. Your support makes it possible for us to continue to deliver your moto fix and we thank you. Of the Steve Mathis show, there is a high chance ability you will either learn something a lot of people don't know you left thinking or make you say to yourself, Dude, that's so funny. The bottom line is this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview. Welcome to the Racer X podcast show brought to you by BTO Sports.com hosted by Steve Mathis.
1: Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. As usual, I'm your host, Steve Mathis, as I am every week. And with me on the line is a guy that uh, isn't going to Washougal, but he's certainly an integral part of Yamaha motocross and supercross racing effort. And that would be none other than the supervisor of all that, Jimmy Perry. Jimmy, what's up? How's it going today? Hey, good. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Um, no problem. I know You've you're... been
0: hounding me for quite some time. I
1: have been. I have been. And I know... I know you don't really want to get into too much about, you know, how great I was at Yamaha. And it's probably tough for you to, you know, just praising me so much, but we'll get to that later. I mean, That would
0: be a short conversation. You
1: were my boss for three years at Factory Yamaha. <laughs> uh, so, hey, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Um, obviously, you were team manager at Yamaha for, um, well, until they pulled out, which is what, two years ago
0: now? Uh, yes.
1: Team manager of the factory motocross and supercross team at Yamaha. And so now Yamaha has taken a little different approach uh, to racing. You guys are spreading the wealth among a few teams. But yourself, you have nobody to manage anymore. And uh, how's that going? How do you like it? Um, Do you think it's the wave of the future? And how's it going for Yamaha?
0: You know, um, I still have things to manage. And, uh, you know, at this point it seems to be uh, going along just fine. You know, there's Mm -hmm. always bumps in the road. And... uh, There's good times and bad times just uh, in any Mm
1: -hmm. racing activity.
0: And, uh, you know, I think it's going well.
1: Uh, Moto Concepts Yamaha, Valley Yamaha, Star Racing. I'm missing somebody else. Um, Rock River. The Joe Gibbs team. Ah, Joe Gibbs, yeah. uh, And uh, Rock River.
0: The Team Sam Manuel Yamaha team.
1: Oh Yeah, yeah. So basically all those teams, do you deal with all those teams on, on one level or another?
0: uh yes, of, yeah, you know you know each one of those teams is kind of at a different level mm-hmm. in regards to riders, bike teams, and uh each one gets uh the attention that they need um to better their program hmm
1: It seems like the uh the g y t r package now when I was there. You know, you had it out with the GYTR guys over the pipes. Maybe we'll get into that. Uh, they've stepped up their game in a, in a huge way. That a lot of these teams are running GYTR cylinder heads, uh, just bolt them on. It, it's pretty cool, huh? It's it's a neat little program that's going on there. Yeah, you know, those
0: um, those guys have worked really hard um, with the new 450 from the get go, and they spent a lot of time developing. Um, an engine package, Mm -hmm. and it's quite competitive out of the box, and uh, you can order it through any dealership, and it comes, cams, piston, head, everything ready to go, and it works quite well.
1: Yeah, the teams are running, and you know, it's not one of those things where it's like a sticker on the side of the the head. Like, they're running it, you know what I mean? Top-level riders and and teams are running that, that, that stuff, and so... To me, that speaks volumes. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, the, like I said, they, they worked really hard to mm-hmm. get the, not just a product that they could put in their catalog. They right. wanted uh, a performance product that um, was something that teams would be interested in using and have an advantage for using it.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, now obviously um, I would think that uh, Alan Brown deserves pretty much all the credit, Canadian Alan Brown, for turning around the star racing team. But that probably isn't correct. Um, Star Racing has been uh, last couple of years been coming around, been been getting some good riders and some good results. The bikes look strong out on the track. Uh, it must be good to see for you, huh?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's it's good to see for everybody at Yamaha. Mm-hmm. It's good to see for Bobby Reagan and Brad and Alan and the whole Star Racing crew. Yeah, you know, I think that they've um, they've been chipping away at it putting in a lot of hard work, and, you know, you're trying to build something, and sometimes those things don't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And each year they look at where they need to improve and address it and, you know, march forward. And, you know, it is great to see all of those guys uh, with a smile on their face and, you know, getting solid results week in and week out.
1: Yeah, and, of course, hiring a Canadian, Alan Brown, how much do you think that has to do with it? 100%? 98%? Uh, you know, it takes, uh, many
0: people to get the job done.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for a crack from you there. You just weren't going to do it. Um, no. so, Hey, what about yourself now? Um, as we'll get into more, you've been around a long time. Uh, do you like what you're doing now? Uh, do you like it better or worse? How is it? You're not in the trenches per se. Um, dealing one-on-one with one or two riders, you are sort of overseeing a lot of stuff, um, talk about yourself and the new job what do you think you know it it's different yeah. you know I,
0: I i enjoyed the racing side of things mm-hmm. and the nuts and bolts and dealing with riders and you know mechanics and all those types of things and uh you know it's definitely a different role and i've learned a lot of different things um doing this mm-hmm. you know so i wouldn't say that um it's been bad. It's definitely been a learning experience, and you know I'm always up for a challenge.
1: I take it then you miss a little bit of being in the trenches. I take it. Oh, from, oh for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, you know that's yeah. when you come from the trenches. Right. It's tough to get out of them.
1: Well, it was easy for me. Let me tell you. <laughs> I did. It. I did all I can do with with Red Dog. It was time for me to move on. You know, um, mm-hmm. Buds Creek first moto. Who could forget? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's a little different now. Obviously, you're not speaking for corporate Yamaha here or anything, but the model that Yamaha is doing—can you see that happening in in the future? I mean, because when you guys did it, you know that that was decades of a of a Yamaha factory team gone away. Brock Lover, Ricky Johnson, Chad Reed—you uh, know, the list goes on and on—and you guys pulled out. Now, can you, in your opinion, it, could that happen with other guys? Is it the smart way to go? Is it, you know, what I mean? Like, what do you think of the whole philosophy of it?
0: Well, it's a good philosophy, and it could happen um, to every manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it comes down to I think um, budgets mm-hmm. and uh, who has a big one and who doesn't. Yep. And with some of the manufacturers having outside sponsors, that definitely helps. But if those were happen to go away, right. maybe things might change.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's it, yeah, it's got to be. It's it's a little bit like a NASCAR model, right? I mean, that's what they do. Ford supplies engines or whatever to these uh teams that have outside sponsors, and they sort, most, I mean,
0: most forms of racing, yeah, are done that way, yeah, yeah. You know, if it's, it's NASCAR or IRL or um NASTROC or you know, you name your mm-hmm. um.
1: The racing series, yeah.
0: Year series, that's kind of how it happens.
1: Yeah, and we're the only ones where it's like the Japanese factory or Austrian factory is is hands-on, you know. So that's why I kind of think that we may see something like this down the road with other OEMs. I don't know. We'll see. It's interesting to watch, you know, as a media guy. Uh, Interesting to see if it's working and how it's working and what people think and, you know. So now how much input does yourself, Keith McCarty, Mike Guerra, have to the riders on the teams uh who goes where what what happens who you want who you don't want how much of is it somewhere they run it by you or? you know i think that
0: m- most of all of the teams you know i think the end result is the person in charge of each team mm-hmm. but you know over the course of the season if they say oh, yeah you know we're thinking about talking to this person and right that person could be in left field, you know, Keith or Mike or myself or whoever they ask might say, you know, I might look someplace else or, Mm -hmm. you know, what about this person? Or maybe that isn't the type of guy that you need to have. And, you know, I think that they take it that advice Mm -hmm. and, you know, the bottom line, it comes to the guy at the top of each of those teams.
1: Right, right, exactly. Um, Hey, let's get into your your deal a little bit. Now, Jimmy Perry – Hot shoe Southern California racer, back in the mid '80s, right? I don't know
0: about Hot Shoe, but de- <laughs> yeah. definitely a racer back in the mid '80s. Right. How
1: was that? You made some night programs in Supercrosses, right? Uh, I believe there was two uh, night programs. Never a main event, yeah. but a night program. Night program, and then also on the cover of MXA. Let's not forget. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. I got that issue. Uh, it's it's yeah. No, so do I. <laughs> you were once a member of the wrecking crew, maybe yeah. not. But um, so uh, you started a pro circuit. Now, how did that? I mean, Mitch was sort of coming into his own in the mid '80s. You he started helping out Honda. Did you did you know Mitch from before? Or did you just literally walk in there and say, "Hey, I, I need a job"?
0: Well, I think that it originally started. You know, my brother bought a bike from Mitch. Uh, Husqvarna when he had his Husky dealership and that's kind of how it started rolling. I would go there with my brother and you know it was kind of a cool shop at the time Mm -hmm. and you know they were at the Saddleback Park every weekend and it's like man this is kind of cool and as time went on you know the racing career wasn't going in the greatest direction and uh, I said you know I I need to get a job and what better place to work than at the time it was Anaheim Husk Okay yeah and uh,
1: uh so it was just be kind of kind of just came kinda, I I can picture it like a local shop where you just walk in the yeah. back and hang out and and everybody kind of cracks on each other and whatever so so what what,
2: Absolutely. what
1: what did you start doing there how did you get the job there what what talk about getting working at Pro Circuit You know I uh I guess when I actually got
0: a job I was helping Mitch do, you know, there was a few people there, Mm -hmm. you know, but I did whatever needed to be done. You know, there was bikes that needed to be worked on, you know, there was parts to be put away, help customers, answer the phones. Um, And then shortly, you know, after a few months, I started to help Mitch uh, grind cylinders in the engine department.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, What year would this have been?
0: That would have been uh, 85, I believe. Oh.
1: So how many people were working at Pro Circuit then?
0: Uh, At the Anaheim Husqvarna slash Pro Circuit back then, there was probably uh, four. Oh, so you were like employee 0004. Could have been, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. Oh. Because there were many people before that. Yeah, that's true, true.
1: Okay, but you were there at the very beginning when Mitch, I mean... You were probably the guy telling him to keep Huskies, right, to tell him the Huskies were still coming back? <laughs> that, that
0: was probably uh, Bones Bacon. He was oh. quite a Husky guy. Oh, was he? And uh, there might have been a tear in his eye when <laughs> when the dealership left.
1: I just spoke to Mitch about it. Because, you know, Husky apparently coming back again. Um, it, c- coming up in the racing department, they've hired Sharon Richards, D- Derek Sorensen, sort of getting a little thing going. Andy Jefferson. Oh, Andy Jefferson's there? Okay. Yeah. The bro show. Yeah. Uh, uh, So Husky (laughs) rider. Yeah. So I said to Mitch, you know, Husky's coming back. And he was like, what do you think? He's like, you think I could do it again? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, Mitch. Maybe maybe you can be Husky again. Um, But so what, in your mind, like Mitch told me, the, the mid-80, when he got on the pipe on a Honda 125, whatever year it was, business started really picking up. He made a very good pipe. Is that kind of your recollection? It just start, yeah, things you know, started I, happening?
0: I think that, um, you know, I guess he probably knows the story fact for fact, but I, I want to say that, you know, back then there were some Huskies and he made good parts for them, but th- it was a small market, Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he wanted to obviously grow the brand and yep. make more parts. So he went after the Honda market and, you know, did the same thing. Spent time, mm-hmm. made pipes, you know, did all those things. And there were a lot of Honda 125s at the racetrack. So, mm-hmm. you know, business did take
1: off. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And, uh, and I guess the cylinders were pouring in and, and all that. And how old would you have been at this time? Well, um, probably eighteen. Okay, so you started just working on more and more stuff, and yep. eventually started grinding, uh, grinding mm-hmm. cylinders. Um, and and did you have any idea that Mitch would gro- mention and yourself and Bones and Mike Hooker and all you guys would end up building this thing up to where it is now? I mean, does it kind of amaze you?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it just it was a little, <laughs> was... You, you know, back then.
0: You know, it was definitely a different time. Right, right. And, you know, maybe Mitch had the vision of, hey, you know, this is what's going to happen, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was kind of a kid. Right, right. And, and you know, not even not even would have thought that he would be where he was today. Yeah. You know, not because he wasn't a hard worker, because mm-hmm. that's, besides the point, just the whole where he is today <laughs> is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and how did you learn how to do that? cylinders and stuff and all that just he taught you i mean yeah. literally just you know basically it's, he's like hey
0: you know you you it's
1: hands-on uh-huh.
0: and uh you know you we kind of went through a school you know this is what we need to do today or this is what we're going to do or right. try this or do this or you know you only use straight tools you know and once i got good at that you know then okay we'll do right angle things and it's mm-hmm. just it's just like anything you start at the bottom and work your way
1: to the right, top So there must have been many, many 8-hour, 10-hour days of you just grinding away. Yeah, you know, back (laughs) then, you know,
0: when it first started, it wasn't that many. Right, right, right. You know, later on down the road, there was, you know, maybe in the early or mid-90s, that's when things were really cranking. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of work to be done.
1: At what point did you say to yourself, or did you at all, ever say to yourself i'm in this to, i'm in this now like I, this is what i want to do the rest of my life like no schooling or no whatever like this is just what i'm going to do yeah i mean i think from you know early
0: early on
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know we all of us you know it didn't matter who it was all loved bikes right and you know if you find something a hobby you never have to work a day in your life right right and you know we just loved it, you know. So when it came time to work late or come in early, or you know that that wasn't even an issue because we were having a blast. Mm-hmm. And when special projects came up, you know we were we were excited to do those types of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and by that you mean like working with some factories, right? Like they would be like, hey, we. I mean, at what point was the factories calling Mitch and and getting you guys to do stuff?
0: You know. I I think that the the turning point that I remember when things took off like a rocket ship Mm -hmm. was in 1986 Mm
2: -hmm. when
0: they passed the production rule. Yeah. And then you know that kind of put everybody on a level playing field
2: Mm -hmm. per
0: se. Yeah, yeah. And Mitch was was only able to work on production bikes. You know, so he, that's kind of, and he worked on all of them so he could look at this engine and that engine, and he understood why this engine did that or, you know, all the different things, and he could, oh, I'm going to try this with this engine and so on and so forth, and, you know, that's where it took off
1: from. Yeah, and I guess for you guys, I mean, getting to work with, with, with um, you know, uh, Johnson and Bailey, J&B, all this kind of stuff, you're like, wow, jeez, we're really turning this into something. I mean, J and B uh, shows up at, at Gainesville in '89, and basically on a pro circuit machine in a van, and wins.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that, but it was still, we were just having fun, right? There was no plan, yeah, huh? There was, no, y- you like, know, yeah. you know, there definitely wasn't on my side. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, it was. Hey, you know, they're they're unhappy with the particular part. You know, they didn't like their pipes or this or that. We'll try this one. Oh, man, that thing's pretty good. Right. Okay, well, we had a guy. You know, I believe that, you know, I would say that R.J. was probably our favorite guy.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, still is to this day, you know, a great guy. And, um, you know, he was one of the first guys that I remember. And he's been pretty awesome, I think for a long time
1: right right um uh so okay so you started doing more amateur support uh you know that yeah. was
0: part of it yeah, yeah. you know you know it, it came a time where bones and i used to ride golden state or trans cal or whatever
2: uh-huh
0: southern california racing series was going on and we said god we should take stuff and try and sell it at the races
1: <laughs> right because you're there anyways were there anyway? Right. So
0: on Friday night, we would load up Mitch's van with as much stuff as we could, mm-hmm. and we'd go to Transcal or Golden State or whatever, and try and sell stuff at the races. Or you know, for a while, we would let people try pipes. You know, it, whatever we could do to to move things along.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, it, it, what a cool time in motocross, huh? It, it was awesome. Yeah, just uh, just some just building a wave of. of... You know, good products and and getting really into the foot of the door with all the factories and stuff. Um, what about so okay? So 1991 comes around, and all of a sudden, um, you guys are running the Honda 125 effort. Talk about that a little bit.
0: You know, I I guess that started in 1990 in August or so. I I won't believe that Hooker and myself and maybe even Bones were at Loretta Lynn's And, you know, we would call back every couple of days. You know, nobody had a cell phone. So you'd get back at the hotel and you'd call and say, this is what happened. And Mitch goes, hey, you know, I I think I got something that's going to be pretty cool when you guys get back. So, you know, we came back and Uh Mitch said, okay, this is kind of the deal. You know, Honda wants to get into 125 Supercross going outside and they want us to do it. Uh And, uh, you know, it was like, God, that would be awesome. You know, (laughs) that. We all wanted to jump in, you know, feet first and make a go of it. And, you know, Mitch goes, man, this is how I want to do it. I want to do it different. I want to do this. I want to make – and it was, uh, you know, the start of something pretty big.
1: Yeah, no, really. But it also must have meant the start of a lot more work for you. (laughs) Well, I guess at that time – Like,
0: that was a big effort. It it was a big effort, but at that time I was still – more of the the pro circuit side of things, uh-huh. you know, I did the amateur support um, was more involved with the retail store or this or that or doing the engine side of things. And the race team was at a different location in Corona.
1: Oh, it was oh, okay. Which yeah. was
0: headed up, you know, by Mike Hooker, and he worked with Mitch, and that's where our dynos were, and that's where that kind of took place up mm-hmm. until. Well, I want to say he left at the end of the '96 season.
1: Yeah, to go work for Honda. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. But the uh the success you guys had with uh top fuel Buell and Swink, McGrath and Lampson, just uh I mean did you have any idea you guys would be so successful? I mean you went one two like every race.
0: Yeah, you know I guess it was, you know Mitch had this vision, right. and you know. We gotta have good bikes and worked really hard. Bones was, you know, there doing the suspension and making things as good as they could be. And um, you know, we thought we had good riders. McGrath had just won some uh championships at Loretta Lens, same with Swink. So they had we had the best
1: mm-hmm.
0: up and coming guys and we had good bikes.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a good and, combo. Uh, yeah.
0: It was, uh, it was pretty amazing at that first race in Orlando in 91.
1: Coming out and uh, Swink won, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Swink won first race. Yeah, pretty good debut, I'd say. And mm-hmm. It's still going to this day, actually. It hasn't really stopped.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that it, was, it wasn't just the winning. You know, that was a pretty, that was a big deal. But it was, you know, the crew uniforms and the tents and the truck. And both guys looked identical. And, you know, the bikes were a different color. You know, a lot of things were different than how everybody else was doing things at the time.
1: Yeah, it must have been pretty cool, right? Like, it must have been, like, like, I mean, I wasn't around then. Obviously, I was in the magazines. But when you guys showed up at Orlando and everybody looked the same and all that, that must have been, like, blew some people's wigs back. Yeah, I – I guess at the
0: time it it was like that's just what the plan was and that's what we were doing. Right. But then when you look back at it, it was pretty amazing mm-hmm. how it all came together I'd almost say at the last minute.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. how much did you have to do with the race team? You, know, you said Hooker ran it up, but did you do cylinders and heads and that type of stuff for the team?
0: Yeah, you know, yep. at that point, you know, they had a staff of mechanics. Mm-hmm. and Hooker was in charge of that. And the development, he worked with Mitch and Bones did the suspension, but there was a lot of other little things of running around and doing this and doing that mm-hmm. that we all did what we could. You mm-hmm. know, once Mitch brought it and said, this is how we're going to do it, and this is, nobody wanted to see it fail. Oh,
1: yeah? So yeah.
0: if it, hey, we need to get this done, well, I can do that, or I'll do that, or I'll, you know, everybody did whatever they could do to make it happen.
1: Uh, And talking about McGrath, I don't know how much you had to do with working with him, but did you see it in him that he'd be the greatest Supercrosser of all time? I mean, obviously, he was a fast 125 kid, but we've seen a lot of fast 125 kids. So, what do you remember from early Jeremy McGrath, 1991?
0: You know, I probably remember when he rode for Team Green, Mm -hmm. and I think one... A, a, Vegas Supercross, maybe? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so, on White Brothers. He did White those Brothers.
0: Mickey Thompson things, yeah. and you could tell he was a good starter. He had pretty good style, yeah. but he was just, um, you know, was he going to be the greatest of all time Supercross winning? I, I would have probably never guessed that, right. but he was going to be good.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you knew that. uh, yeah. uh Now, smash cut to, to 93, you guys kill it. And all of a sudden, Honda says, see you later. Or, and you guys got to run Cowleys. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been. Mitch said that was pretty devastating. What, do you, what is your recollection of that? What are your thoughts on that? Very yeah, little know, budget.
2: Yeah.
0: Just I mean, everybody's brought up on results and doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And I can remember that Mitch and Hooker and Bones and that whole group, they did an awesome job. You know, at one point they were leading outdoor series. They were winning. Su- you know, they were doing mm-hmm. what you felt was that's a pretty damn good job. Right, right. To have the rug pulled out from underneath you, that was kind of a bummer.
1: Yeah, yeah, really. And, it, and then on top of that, 93KX125, not a very good bike, correct?
0: Probably, uh, you know, that didn't make it any easier.
1: <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com X podcast show that time time for a commercial thanks for listening to the btosports.com podcast show please don't forget that bto is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the
2: bike or body you'll find deals like a showy vfxw helmet for 309.99
0: 45 off or smith piston goggles for 32.99
1: 65 percent off your order can be shipped anywhere in the usa for free or if you're not in the usa we ship worldwide Check it out at bto btosports.com. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, switching topics real quick. What are some of the bikes that you remember that you guys did a really good job on? Like, what were the, some of the bikes that could make a big difference with, with a BC a pipe and silencer and some porting or head work? I mean, is there, is there a model that stands out that really came alive when you worked on it? I mean, is there anything like, like that?
0: Yeah, if I had to say one bike... I would probably say a 94 YZ250. Oh
1: yeah? Yeah. Not not that good stock but but you can No, get, oh. I think a great stock bike. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I'm
0: not saying best to worst. I'm just saying that, you know, they were good bikes to to begin with. Right. Okay. And with, you know, uh doing a cylinder and a head and a pipe and you know they were really good bikes mm-hmm. and um a lot of people rode them privateers and uh got good starts, ran up front yeah. um maybe a 85 CR250 oh
1: yeah yeah was
0: another good bike that you know with some work done to it was competitive yeah. guys got great starts. Um, those are two bikes that I would say were a big, uh, um,
1: big models, good for, bikes, yeah.
0: and uh, we er, there was good success with them.
1: Right. So when did you start transitioning more and more into the race team? Um, I
0: started more involved with the race team for the '97 season.
1: Okay. Which, you know,
0: Hooker had said that he was leaving, moving on, and then that opened up a spot that needed to be filled. And Mitch uh, asked me if I would be interested in, you know, moving over and uh, taking over that role.
1: And up until then, you had just uh, you'd, you'd kind of been behind the scenes. You saw the company growing and growing. When did you guys move into the place where, the, where they're at now? What year when, was that? that was um 96 okay and that's where you where you are now or where they yeah. are now not where you are yeah
2: well well
0: they moved to um that location and uh-huh. now i think pro circuits in one building and then the race shops and in but yeah. at that location
1: right 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 which i mean well, it had to have been a big commitment for mitch and obviously business was booming huh well, I think that for a
0: long time he he had his eye on that piece of property. You know, it was an awesome um, slice there at the end of that street, and he really liked that piece of land. And, he, you know, I think for many years he goes, man, I'd like to move there. And, you know, just one thing led to another, and finally things were moving along, and he purchased it and, you know, started building and, mm-hmm. you know, away as it went. You know, when that happened – everything was moved from the race shop which was in Corona
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then Pro Circuit which was in Anaheim then it was all moved into one building.
1: Right, right. and that was, that was probably uh, yeah, pretty big pretty big move I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh hey, so 97 coincided with um uh, number Chubby, number 70 Ricky Carmichael. Yeah. Uh <laughs> And uh, what do you remember about that? I, I mean, again, I was uh, now a mechanic on the circuit. Uh, he was, certainly was fast. We all know who beat him in 97 for the Supercross title, you know, th- through some smart riding. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly smart riding. But, uh, again, uh, what was it like to work with Carmichael at that early age? And, and I mean, he, he was just, uh, just a throttle-twisting machine, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, he, um,
0: he rode hard. He worked hard. And, uh, you know, he wasn't afraid to uh, hold it on to make a pass or I would say, you know, wreckers or checkers. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a few that, you know, if he could have slowed down just a skosh, mm-hmm. he probably would have uh, been Supercross champion that year. But, you know, a couple of crashes got in the way, and right, uh, right. That's, that's the way it goes.
1: And, and and again, did, w- I mean, it's hard to see that kid becoming what he did, right? I mean, he worked hard, but was he just...
0: Yeah, you know, I think that,
1: again, at that point, mm-hmm.
0: would he have won as many races in championships and did all the things that he did? I don't think you're ever going to say, oh, yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. But probably after four or five races ended that outdoor season. Yeah. You could see that he was going to be around for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing seemed to faze him. You know, everybody yeah. would tell, you know, he did good at Gainesville because that was his home track. Right,
1: right.
2: You know,
0: and then they'd go to the next one, and he murdered him there. And then, you know, he just kept at it. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, Southwick, and he was in shape, yeah.
0: and uh, he was, he came to the races wanting to win, and he listened to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, he was like a sponge. You know, he had a great support group at home yep. that did the work Monday through Friday. And then when he appeared at the races on the weekend, you know, it was new to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He was excited to be there. He loved racing, and he really loved winning. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if he struggled in an area, he really didn't care who was telling him on the team because everybody was trying to help him, right. and he would listen to him. Yeah, You know, where it seems like some people nowadays, they have all the answers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Where he was a sponge.
1: Um, and also, too, I imagine on his practice bikes, you guys must have just been rotating those things out back and forth to Florida. It, yeah. Like, what are um, you
0: doing, kid? <laughs> it, it was amazing some of the the bikes that would go to his house. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Chad was working on them. Chad walks. And when yeah. they left. Yeah they were like
1: immaculate showpieces. (laughs) When they came back, (laughs) they were a far cry from that. (laughs) I can imagine. And so you had Casey Johnson, Pingree. Who am I missing? Um, Craig Decker. Decker, yeah. I think that was that year. How did those guys handle RC? Casey Johnson didn't handle it well.
0: Yeah, Casey, Casey, um, he didn't think that, the little guy was going to do very good. You know, I can do this, I can do that, I'm going to kill this guy. And yeah. I think he ended up eating his words. Right, right, right. And, and the other guys, you know, I think that they um, understood that he was a hard worker and had a lot of talent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, there wasn't much they could do about it. You know, they not that they were bad guys. Right. You know, they were doing the best that they could. He was just, he elevated them.
1: Wasn't there a thing where where Casey thought you guys were giving Ricky a better bike or something?
0: You know, I I think that there's. Wasn't there? You know, <laughs> there's always whoever's winning. Yeah. Of course they don't have or they have something better and you know I believe I was at a test one day and Mitch goes well then swap number plates. Right, right. <laughs> just you know,
1: st- straight up like that, yeah. Yeah,
0: just swap. You know, it doesn't matter, and how. It was back then, is everybody could ride the same thing. Everybody could have the same parts. Mm-hmm. Whoever was smart enough to get the right package together. Right. You know, and Casey would want something a certain direction, and Ricky had wanted the complete opposite. Yeah. Because he was thinking about the races and how things worked at the uh, – at the start and
1: yeah. certain, you know he was or a little tw- bit
0: sharper or the twenty minute yeah, or the, some of those other guys.
1: Or the how is was gonna work at thirty minute mark or whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Can you hang on to it or whatever?
0: Yep.
1: Um and along along this whole timeline we've been talking, just championships racked up one after another. It had to have been uh had to been pretty cool in those early years when you realized that you were the only team I mean there was Honda Troy in the in the big bike class, but for a long time you guys were straight up beating the John Dowds the Steve Lampsons uh you know all the factory guys at their game kind of cool yeah
0: you know it was
1: it was a neat time for right. sure yeah many hours spent on the dino for you
0: uh yeah you know <laughs> the, there there was a point where you know there we had two dinos and mm-hmm. you know Mitch could would run one and myself and other guys would run the other one and it was an ongoing thing yeah you know we would have we would get all of the production pieces done and out of the way before we were able to start building race bikes and doing race engines and right. things like that. But it was it was a lot of time spent.
1: Like, give me give the, the listeners an idea. Like, how many cylinders and head combos or pipe combos would you try in a day? And and, and and stuff that really didn't always work. Right? You just wanted to try something. You would almost would you almost sometimes wreck a cylinder to try something?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that it isn't necessarily a day Mm -hmm. because, you know, you would start with your base and you would run through a certain series of tests and then, well, let's try something else or, you know, it was an ongoing development thing, Mm -hmm. but over the course of a season, there were a lot of pipes, there were a lot of barrels, and there was a lot of
1: junk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the season. Biggest blow up you had on the dyno? Does one stick out in your mind?
0: Uh, or yeah, anything? not on a a race bike, uh-huh. but I have a couple in my mind that um uh, happened on the dyno. Just you know, you think you have everything figured out and mm-hmm. you're trying to rush and <laughs> you know Things happen.
1: Things happen. Call that customer up. Hey, sorry about that.
0: Well, I I don't necessarily know that the customer, you know, it was just, you know, the customer parts never really were on the dyno. It's just as you were doing development work. You're trying to get a certain amount of things done, and it, it, uh, you know, mistakes happen.
1: You know, uh, one bike I feel like you guys didn't capture the magic on, I sent my cylinder and head to you guys in 89 on my 89 KX-125. I got to say, wasn't a whole lot better when I got it back. I don't know, maybe you did that one on a Monday? I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, I, I
0: would probably say Mitch did that one.
1: <laughs> and but, but my 91 CR-125, you guys did a bang-up job. So, you're, you know, I, I got to give it up there. Didn't you, okay. didn't you and Mitch have, like, a contest on KX-80 cylinders or something? What was the deal there?
0: You know, we we've had that? a lot of <laughs> contests on a lot of different things.
1: But wasn't there like something about who could do one quicker or? Who, yeah,
0: we had who could who had better running kicks 125s one uh-huh. year. Okay. We had who could do the fastest CR500. You know. <laughs> Just whatever, it, right?
1: Just yeah. Like.
0: If you. Uh, if you're around for long enough, you're gonna come up with some kind of a contest to make the time go by.
1: Right, right. Uh, is there one? Is there one funny one that sticks out? Is there something that you can remember that was was good times? Um,
0: maybe we had a contest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let that one just. Slide oh, come us. on! We, no way! I, on. I believe I'm winning on the contest.
1: Oh, okay. Still going? Yeah. Okay, I'll have to ask Mitch about it. Um, (laughs) Hey, uh, so, okay, so Ricky obviously becomes, you know, just this massive winning machine. You guys have a great run with him, and he goes on to continue to stomp everybody. Uh, um, But one thing that really sticks out in my mind, Mike Brown, 2001. Uh, I was at KTM then working for Kelly Smith, Mount Morris winners, by the way, 2000. Okay. Uh, You guys had Mike Brown. We had Grant Langston, and that was – Things got heated between the mechanics—not me, but between the mechanics of the bikes and Langston and the fathers—and that was a, a contentious summer, huh?
0: Yeah, you know, I—I I think that it was two guys, the riders, mm-hmm. and two teams that really wanted to win. Right. And uh, you know, those guys would battle on the track. And when they would come to the podium or off the track, you know, mechanics and team members and family and everybody was there to say their two cents.
1: Right. Yeah. Which happens a lot, even now. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, and and wasn't wasn't uh, when Ricky rode Steel City? How was that? Were you guys like, huh? You want a one twenty five? What? I mean, you gave him one of your bikes, right? Yeah. You know, I I think that even when he
0: left the team. Uh huh over the course of the years, there was a few that got away from him. Right. You know, he should have won, could have won, but, you know, a crash, a bike problem at a couple of races, he wasn't able to win more overalls. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, someday I want to come back and race 125s again so I can get the record. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the that season he had wrapped up the supercross or the outdoor title and maybe about halfway through he had a lead and you know it was stuck in his mind i want to come back and ride 125 yeah yeah you know (laughs) if if i can get this thing done i want to ride one at steel you know just and it kept going and every week Mm -hmm. he would come by the truck or hey man you got me a bike ready you know and it was kind of Kind of a joke, right. but kind of funny, but he was serious about it. Yeah, and then it happened. <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah. for for the group, for the team, for everybody, you know, that's that's the least we could do, is you know, kind of give him what he wanted. Right, right. right. You know, over the course of the years, he had lost a couple, and he wanted to get that record. Um, Why would you hold him back from doing that? Give him what he wants. You yeah. know, it was we had the bikes and off he went.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, who was his mechanic? Was was the Chad work for him?
0: Yeah, um, it was Chad
1: over there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I remember a KTM. Some people, not Langston himself, but some of the people around Langston, just thought that there was no way that Ricky was going to be competitive. That Brown and Langston had raised the level, and I'm just like, are you high or drunk? Like the guy is going <laughs> to he's going to go one one and he's going to blow everybody away. And, yeah, and he would I think have, that people you know? forget yeah.
0: how fast dominant guys are.
1: Yeah, yeah. They sort of, um, um, yeah. You don't lose it. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. Um, hey, through all the years at, a, at a PC, do you have a couple of favorite riders that stand out? Um,
0: like, probably go, like, Ricky for it, sure. It, one of them. Yeah. You On know, and he, off the track. He yeah. is, uh, he's phenomenal. Right. And. Um, Maybe Jimmy Gaddis. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a that was a fun, a good season.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Mickelby, Sean. See, I don't. I don't get the Bishan thing um, because Mitch Mitch likes Bishan too. Well,
0: I mean, I I think that again, we knew him when he rode mini bikes. Uh Uh-huh. You know, so it was over time. He wanted to come to the states. When he came in '93, he lived at my house. You know, so we had some history there. Mm-hmm. And he was—he was a good guy.
1: And he won on a Honda. Um, at, at San Diego in '93. Right. Yeah, living at your house, just mm-hmm. hanging out. Not—not not, English, probably not too good.
0: Um, his English was much better than his father's.
1: Oh yeah, yeah and uh yeah you know that that win is kind of lost he was a that was another full privateer win by pro circuit you know yep um 112 i think on a honda yep yeah um so what about okay so we talked about the good guys you know, then yeah.
0: then you know uh, nathan Ramsey.
1: yeah you know he was a good guy you know,
0: there was a lot of guys you know that had certain things about him that they gelled with the team
1: yeah Uh, Nathan, too, uh, DNFing the first round, I think, or second round with a broken chain, right? First round. First round, so big deficit right off the bat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, So, okay, so we talked about some of the guys that you really liked. What about the guys that – not that you didn't like them, but it didn't work out or they didn't didn't grasp the concept, they didn't put the work in, uh, but they had talent. I mean, anybody come to mind like that?
0: One more favorite guy was Shea Bentley.
1: Oh, yeah, Shea Bentley? Yeah. You know –
0: finally got a championship went through a lot of yeah. injuries but he was a good guy.
1: You know there were there, were, there were many times that, that people were questioning why Mitch kept giving him a ride cuz he kept getting hurt but you know in the end it, it paid off so um uh, but back to the
0: the the struggles yeah probably the number one guy that couldn't quite grasp it was Bobby Bonds.
1: Yeah uh, uh, I was thinking that he was going to maybe make your list, and and what was it? Was it just did he not work hard enough? Was he not talented enough? Like did he have a weak amateur class, and all of a sudden you know his his wins looked less impressive? What in your opinion didn't he get? Um, I think when he
0: finally got there, he achieved his goal.
1: Oh, okay, yep.
0: And I think that he had a ton of talent. Mm-hmm. And when he was an amateur kid, you know, he could get a bad start, crash in the first corner, come through the pack. He he was pretty darn good. Yeah. But when he got to the pro classes and in Supercross, he didn't really work at it that hard. All right. And then right off the bat, he got injured. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of a snowball. Right. You know, he mm-hmm. never would do the work to get back in shape or rehab the injury, mm-hmm. and he'd get hurt again. Right. And it was yeah. just on going, on going, on going.
1: Yeah, and who can forget the Langston, bounce yeah. Hangtown? Yeah. You know, uh, definitely uh, hurt him. Uh, so okay, so for yourself, uh, Factory Yamaha comes calling end of, end of O two at some point in O two, um, to for the two thousand three season. Yep. Uh, how'd you get approached? Who called you? What'd you think? Did you have, did you think about it?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I, uh, I was approached by, uh, Keith in Vegas
2: mm-hmm.
0: for the end of the Supercross. And he asked me what I had planned on doing next year or if I would be interested in doing something. And mm-hmm. I said, man, I'm working at PCI. That's my plan. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it just so happened that down the road, we were in an airport, and he was in the same airport going to a race, and I was going someplace else, and, uh, you know, we started talking a little bit more, and uh-huh. um, he was a little bit more serious, and it definitely got my attention, and we kind of talked over the summer, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Thought long and hard, and uh, I ended up uh, leaving PC at the end of that season and going to uh, Yamaha.
1: That uh, how was that conversation with Mitch? I mean, how'd that go when you're like, "Hey, I'm leaving."
0: You know, it was um, it was pretty tough on me Uh because you know I'd worked there for so long, and you know we did a lot of things together. You know, it it wasn't a job; it was working with your buddies. Yeah. And, you know, on the weekends before we would – before we were in the racing thing, we would go to dinner. We uh-huh. would go goofing around. Everything that we did, there was four or five of us that we did it with the same people.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. just so
0: happened that on Monday morning,
2: <laughs>
0: we went to work together. Right, right. You know, so it was it was definitely tough on me. Yeah. And, you know, he was – you know, I think he was um, – happy that I was able to go on to do something. Right. You know, and uh, he wished me the best of luck. And, uh, you know, we're still good friends to this day.
1: All right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I mean, after you left, he, he hired Ali Seymour, and then mm-hmm. that was that was one and done, and then Dave Osterman was one and done. So, you know, he had trouble replacing you a little bit. I guess maybe that's what you remind him all the time. <laughs> and now he doesn't uh, no, know. No, he- you know, it, it's a different time now. Right. Yeah, he doesn't really have a team manager. It's him, right? Really? Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that, it,
0: you know, even when I was there, there was a lot of things that, you know, I I want to believe that he just handed off mm-hmm. and he trusted me to get them done. Right, right. And, you know, I got along fairly well with most of the mechanics and the riders to get things done and set up tests and things like that. And he handled the sponsors and the riders and the things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just worked.
2: Right.
1: Right.
0: You know, it's like, you know, Bones and I could talk about this or talk to the mechanics and it
1: and it just worked. Right, right. Yeah. And and yeah, there was no maybe going back for him and trying to make it happen again. Like, no. Yeah. Uh two thousand three at Yamaha. Now I'm there, of course, you know. Yeah. We're we're working hand in hand, side by side. Yeah. Uh no, but um Chad Reed, Villeman and Tim Ferry. Now obviously Chad Reed had been pretty successful at, at the Yamaha Troy, but I don't think and he, I mean, you could see in the preseason he was fast, but, again, like Ricky, I don't think I would have thought that, hey, this guy's going to be second all-time in and wins and, and all that, right? I mean, he was he was still a little ragged. Yeah, you know, I, I, but looking back at that is, you know, I think he had a
0: pretty – he was pretty set on what he was going to do.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, you could say that. <laughs> you know, he uh, – he said from the get-go, you know, I want to win. I, I like this bike. You know, I, I, I want to get the job done. And he was mm-hmm. he was doing the work to do it.
1: Right, right. Um, certainly had a good year. Uh, second half of that season, he re- reeled off a lot of wins. Um, you know, the super team of Dave Dye and yeah. <laughs> Chad Reed were full in, in full effect. Um, what, and how many hairs did you lose approximately dealing with David Villeman over over the three years? you know. Villy was good for some laughs on and off the track, wasn't he? (laughs) You know, that
0: was a a whole interesting
1: season. Right.
0: Because, you know, it was definitely new to me. Yeah. It was definitely, excuse me, a different um, atmosphere than what I was used to. Right. Different class. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And very high-profile guys. Right, right. You know, so I was, I was nervous about a lot of things, you know, I doubted a few things that was going on or that I didn't, you know, that I didn't know how it should happen. Right, right. And, um, you know, for Billy, he was, he was a unique guy. You know, I didn't really know him that much before that season.
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh. He, he's, he's still a pretty good guy or a good guy today. You well, know, which, I enjoy talking to him and, funny, and yeah. joking at, at things that happen at the races.
1: Yeah, you guys still – and you have a relationship today with him, you know, as team manager yeah. at Motoconcept. Concept. Uh-huh. So it's kind of come and, full and circle. I, and I believe that, you know, even when he left,
0: we stayed in contact. Mm-hmm. You know, even when he went to Suzuki and the Buku team and back to Europe, you know, so yeah, yeah. you know he was one of those guys that um, – that still stayed in contact, along with Timmy and even Chad.
1: Right, right, yeah. Um, what would you th- What do you think about dealing with Timmy? What What What? Uh, what do you think about all that? Like, did you like? Obviously, you liked him, but uh, what What are your thoughts of him as a manager and dealing with him as a as a rider and as a person? You know, I, I think for myself, he struggled with injury.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know you know over the course of that season those seasons that we spent together a lot of it was recovering mm-hmm. and in this sport you got to get back out there as quickly as you can yeah and it seemed like he was always fighting the nagging injury and um he I never really got to see his you know true potential of Able to win races. Mm-hmm. He did win a couple of motos, oh, and he was fast. Who can forget? But it's just one after another after another. It was like he was always behind the eight ball.
1: Yeah. You know, I just did a story with Chad that uh, is going to come out in one of the magazines uh, in Australia. And he talked about that 03 outdoor season. And he talked about how, looking back on it, he, he really felt like that two-stroke was going to give him he, – he could win on that thing. He really felt like he, you know, that was the right choice for him. Cause I made a joke about man, what a bad decision that was, and he said, "No, I, I really thought I could win on it." But uh, he switched about halfway through the season, and uh, and we saw what happened after that. But there was a there was a lot of, um, uh, I think, decisions behind Chad riding a two stroke and a four stroke, even in Supercross the year the next year, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So okay, so then you. Uh, What's it like working with Reedy? What do you think? The same question I just asked you for Timmy, but same question uh, for Reed. What, what did you like? What do you think about dealing with him uh, on a day to day basis?
0: You know, we had some good times.
1: Yeah. You know, he
0: was. You know, when you dealt with Chad Reed one on one, it was it was fun. You know, it it was different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, he was demanding, but he wanted to win. Yeah. And w- that's what you want. mm Hmm. You, you know you you can put up with demanding if the guy's capable of winning,
1: yeah, yeah, that's what I think too. Like there were some times where he made you and the whole team jump through a lot of hoops to get things done for him, but at the end of the day, you're like, shit, the guy he's winning, right yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and,
0: and it's it it stinks when you have somebody that's demanding because they think they deserve to be demanding and can't win,
1: right, right. So,
0: you know, it, it was a unique time, and he won a lot of races. And you know, he made the whole group look really good a Wait, lot of times,
1: myself included.
0: Yeah, huh? yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you know, it comes down to it's it's a group. You know, and there's probably times where you didn't want to help his mechanic change a tire, or do this or do that, but you kind of had to. And that all helps, and that's what makes a team what it is.
1: Yeah, well, I we definitely probably didn't. We, we didn't like each other back then, mostly because him and Timmy didn't like each other because they were going through that whole, that whole deal, you know. Uh, and like, and like, as I told you, Ch- Timmy will never ride at Chad's ever again. Yeah, you
0: still never pay <laughs> me that $20.
1: <laughs> For people who want to know, Timmy and Chad got into a big fight, and then they were pretty upset at each other. And Jimmy Perry told me one day, well into their fighting, like, you know, well, and you know, I bet you those two idiots get back together, and, you know, one of them will ride at one of the other places, and I was like, dude, there is no way, this relationship is over, those two guys will never, and so, maybe a year later, year and a half later, Timmy's out, Chad's motoring down, <laughs> and, and you want your 20 bucks, which I think, yeah, I believe I paid you. I don't think so. I think I did, so... <laughs> Um, well right on man. Well thanks for doing it. I think we got brought up in we don't want to talk about the Heath Boss here, do we? That's all right. Yeah, we'll go from there. <laughs> we'll walk from there. Good guy, Heath. Just didn't work out. Yep. Um uh well hey man, thank you. Um thank you for doing this. I think uh um I think people have a better idea of what, what kind of stuff you went through. I mean you you were at Pro Circuit at the very, very beginning and now you're sort of uh what I think a little bit of a leader in what's going to happen down the road in our sport. I believe so anyways. I don't know when, but I I believe so. So um, a little bit of a trendsetter you are there, Jimmy Perry.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Mathis.
1: Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for doing the BTO Sports Racer X podcast show. I will see you not in Washougal. When will I see you?
0: Unadilla. Unadilla. Right on. Thank you. Have a good day. See you. This has been the RacerX Podcast with Steve Mathis. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy the more than 250 episode archive, including the classics collection where it all began.